Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and short episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. I don't know how fun-filled this episode's going to be, but it, it, oh, episode. See. Okay, see, Ben, the setup for failure off the first sentence. Okay, <laughs> well, I, I was going to say I'm going to try and make it entertaining, then I realized that was going to be just as terrible. So, nope. okay, so yes. it's going to be an episode of Just Some Podcast. There you go. There you, there go. you go. All right, thank you. And for this episode, we wanted to bring our mental health expert back on. So, Eric, welcome back to the show, man. Oh, thanks so much for having me, guys. Well, and we knew we were going to need you for this. So, yeah, we're going to need you. And I just want to point out, we've never done a video where I've seen Eric before. He's been on the show several times. And I just want to say the wall sconces you have behind you with the decorative flowers is just fantastic, Eric. We're going for the full effect tonight, boys. So I just wanted you all to... <laughs> to get a preview. Honestly, I'm building a house right now and I sold my own house. So this is, uh, my mother-in-law is allowing us to crash with her. So this is her beautiful decor. Well, nice she, ambiance. yes, I, I tell her that it just looks fantastic. So there you go. I'll pass it on. <laughs> All right. Well, Tom, let's get into this. We kind of want to do a, a hot take on an incident that occurred recently. So I'm going to kind of cover that and then we're going to bring you and Eric back in to kind of help discuss this a little bit. I will say that we are going to be talking about domestic violence and that we're going to be going into detail with some of the injuries in relation to this particular incident. So listener discretion is advised. Former Seahawks offensive tackle Chad Wheeler was formally charged Wednesday following his arrest on suspicion of felony assault domestic violence had first degree domestic violent assault, domestic violence, unlawful imprisonment, and resisting arrest. Mr. Wheeler is accused of twice choking his girlfriend until she lost consciousness. According to the incident report, she called 911 from inside a locked bathroom saying that she was being killed. Uh, she told the police that she had fled into the bathroom after her uh, boyfriend had threw her on the bed and choked her long enough for her to lose consciousness. At one point, she said he removed one hand, pressed it against her nose and mouth to try to stop her from breathing while continuing to choke her with the other hand. Uh, she briefly regained consciousness before Wheeler pinned her down and choked her back into unconsciousness again. She did try to get away at one point, which he uh, violently grabbed her left arm and ripped her body back toward him. The charging documents state that when she regained consciousness for the second time, he calmly returned to the bedroom and expressed surprise, saying, quote, oh, you're still alive, unquote. She ran to the bathroom, uh, sent text messages to family and friends to get them to call 911, and uh, the police finally came. When the police did get there, he did resist arrest. He had to be tased and was finally subdued. Just for 
perspective, Mr. Wheeler is six foot seven, three hundred and ten pounds. I believe his girlfriend was listed at five nine and one hundred and forty five pounds. Thank you. She had a fractured humerus, a dislocated elbow. The whites of her eyes had turned completely red, consistent with signs of strangulation. Her chest showed indications that she'd aspirated fluid and that she'd vomited large amounts of blood the next day. Uh, she was having some difficulty swallowing, eating, neck pains, things of that nature. She reports to police that he is bipolar. Uh, they'd been dating for about six months and he had not been taking his medication recently. She said that he had a manic type episode, was not provoked by any sort of argument, but rather began when he suddenly snapped into a dark place, told her to stand up and bow to him. And when she acted confused and asked for more clarification, he grabbed her by the neck, threw her on the bed. The Seattle Seahawks have waived Chad Wheeler as he is no longer on the team. And other reports that I had seen, apparently earlier that Friday morning, he had texted her a photo of his shaved head, which worried her because his long hair was, quote, his thing. She said that he hadn't been taking his medication for bipolar disorder and had emotionally been going downhill that day, which is why we wanted to bring Eric on as well. So, Tom, Eric, let's discuss this. Just to give some more background, because I read through some of this and I, I found repetitive stories. So there, I'm sure there's more information out there. But one of the things that stood out to me is not only is this guy six seven three ten, not only is he a professional football player, but he was also like when he was at USC, he was two time, you know, all pack. I mean, we're talking about a pretty gifted athlete. And the reason I bring that forwards is because her life was never not in danger if this were to happen. Like the minute the physical force became an issue, her chances of resisting in any meaningful way are almost none. So the fact that she is alive is a blessing. I don't know how, but, and again, I haven't seen a lot of the medical or they haven't released any that I've been able to find, which is fine. That's her privacy. I'm just saying, the amount of injuries from a trauma standpoint that she probably sustained alone are Im impressive in the medical term impressive as in man, those are like outstanding. When you see them, you know, that that is like being in a car wreck. That was a rollover unrestrained. I mean, she, she suffered a lot of injuries, so I'm glad that she is alive and made it through it. But my question for you, Eric, is one of the things that Ben just mentioned was this started off as a manic episode. And so are people going through a manic episode not so much prone to violence, but it seems like there is no way to gauge what is going to happen next. Is that true or is there probably more to the story we're not reading yet so far? Well, so that's a great question. I think the first thing that people listening should understand is. When we talk about a manic or a hypomanic episode, guys, we have to remember that the symptoms have to be present for seven days or greater or hospitalization or incarceration. So this individual, as his girlfriend had identified, he probably had symptoms leading up to this to suggest, man, something's not right. His behaviors have changed. It appears that it was known that this individual was not 
taking his medication as prescribed. So all of that is a significant risk factor uh, for an exacerbation of symptoms. I think when we think about this, this is an, an incredibly unfortunate situation for his girlfriend. And in full disclosure, it's an incredible unfortunate situation for this gentleman. Because by all accounts, if this truly is an atypical behavior for him, his entire life changed in a matter of days. And not to make light of anything that he did, but this gentleman had an incredible career in front of him as an NFL football player. He was going to make enough money to change the life of him, the people around him, and all of that's gone now. It's unfortunate for him, and, and it's incredibly unfortunate for, for his victim. So I know we talked a little bit prior to coming on, but there's quite a few people in the United States that suffer from bipolar uh, was it about approximately 7 million? I think it's one of the statistics that I'd seen. And obviously not all 7 million are going to be, have violent outbursts and episodes like this. So my question to you, I guess, and why, and I noticed it even with depression and anxiety, things of that nature, why is it that people who take mental health drugs tend to stop them when they quote unquote feel better Whereas you don't necessarily see that with like diabetes or hypertension or things of that nature, it, it tends to be more in the mental health realm. And that's one of the re- one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on was to get your take on that. Yeah, Ben, that's a really good question because where we find ourselves is there's not a whole lot of stigma associated with hypertension, right? Yeah. And we think about, I mean, I guarantee you guys have patients where, man, I stopped my blood pressure medicine because my blood pressure was good. It wasn't this idea that my blood pressure was good because I was on the medication and face the same thing with mental health disorders, except the difference is every time you take a pill, it's a reminder that you're different than someone and that uh, depending on how you can either accept uh, your mental health condition or move forward, it's a reminder that you're different and you're less than, and people may look at you differently. And, and I really still believe in my heart that that's based on uh, the fact that we still stigmatize and discriminate against people who struggle with mental health issues. I think an important component to note here, guys, is that there are a lot of studies that look at the rates of violence compared from the general population compared to those who suffer with mental health issues. Uh-huh. Guys, the thing that is statistically significant that raises the bar of violence is a comorbid substance use disorder. So uh, I've got some information that was published in the archives of general psychiatry. It, it's old data. It's from 2010, but it's, it's the most pertinent that I could find to this conversation. When we looked at individuals with bipolar disorder, 3.4% of the general population estimated, of course, commit a violent crime. 4.9% of the population with bipolar disorder or individuals who have bipolar disorder commit a violent crime. So we're not seeing a statistically significant change there. I mean, we, we do see an increase of 1.5%, but it's nowhere compared to what you would, you would think when you look at the media or you, you look at Facebook or we dehumanize people who struggle with mental illness. Now, same statistic, you look at an individual who has a history of substance use or has a comorbid substance use disorder, that rate of violence goes to 21.3%. Wow. Uh, Yes. And so I think when we're looking at this case, some of the things that I would be interested in if Mr. Wheeler was my patient was what else was in his system? Was he taking anything else that could be contributing to his mental state at the time? 
And guys, we're talking about things like steroids for an upper respiratory infection, performance enhancing drugs, even pre-workout things that may not be on the NFL ban list. Was he taking anything that may up him or rev him up to contribute to the irritability and the violence that he displayed? Because from everything that I have read, uh, outside of the violence of being a football player, he was not a violent individual. Right. And that's kind of what I had. No, sorry, Tom, go ahead. No. Well, I was going to say, so that brings me back to something I've been wondering. So they keep mentioning bipolar, but there's bipolar one, bipolar two. And I'll be 100% honest. I don't know every ins and outs. So I was hoping you could maybe give a little overview of what the difference is. And is there something to, we'll say bipolar one, because I believe that's the more common of the conditions that makes you more prone to not so much violence, but mania, or is there any rhyme or reason to perhaps the mental health condition itself outside of those that made him more likely to be violent or this episode? Yeah. So when we think about the diagnostic criteria for bipolar spectrum disorder, there's several that get talked about. There's this thing called cyclothymia, where we have periods of two to three days where we're up and then it's followed by two to three days where we're down. And there's really no time of euthymia or what we call a normal mood. Bipolar two looks at four days, at least four days in which we have symptoms of mood elevation, which may include, uh, think of the mnemonic dig fast, uh, distractibility, irritability, grandiosity, flight of ideas, thought processes off, our speech may be pressured, we may be more easily agitated, have impulsive type behavior. So that's four days. And, and typically, what's associated with those symptoms, it's, it's more of a I'm going to use the term mild, even though that's not correct. It's, it's to a lesser degree. It does not cause such substantial psychosocial dysfunction during periods of hypomania. And people can be hypomanic for much longer than four days, um, but that's the minimum to meet criteria for a hypomanic episode. One caveat as well with the DSM-5 is you also have to have a history of depressive episodes. So bipolar two, you have to have hypomania plus a major depressive episode. Okay. Bipolar one is unique. You do not have to have a major depressive episode. So you could just theoretically have episodes of mania, which are same symptoms, but seven days worth of duration, or they end up hospitalized before that seven days, or they end up incarcerated before that seven days, because the significance of that psychosocial dysfunction is so severe. And so when we think about this individual, this is a profound episode. This is something that is atypical of his behavior for what we know. Right. Um, and so I, I can't speculate on what the diagnosis would be, but that is a very profound change to his psychosocial functioning. Could something like an infection or some acute physiologic change like that cause someone to potentially have an episode like this? Yes, absolutely. So when we're thinking about disease, one of the emerging hypotheses at this point in time is that individuals, mental health issues, we're thinking the inflammatory system is becoming more and more prevalent, right? So one really cool thing, obsessive compulsive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, there's a growing body of evidence that talks about using COX-2 inhibitors or other anti-inflammatory agents to help improve symptoms. Hmm. We can see this in some depressive disorders. We can see it in a variety of things. So absolutely an infection, a substance, excessive coffee. I, I've had a patient who um, took too much nicotine. She was smoking plus taking nicotine gum and she induced a, a manic episode despite being stable for 18 months. 
Wow. My other question to you then is, do you feel like this is going to worsen the stigma of bipolar? Because, and this is the way I'm looking at it, that's what the focus seems to be on in the media is, oh, well, he was bipolar. Oh, well, he was bipolar. That's not an out to being a domestic violence abuser. So do you, I mean, do you feel like that's going to make people who may carry this diagnosis of bipolar feel more stigmatized and more not wanting to get help? Or do you feel like it's going to be like the, oh, well, I don't want to be that person, so I will get help? Man, I I think it's going to be the first, right? So one of the things that you've identified is just language, something as simple as language. We don't say someone is hyper, is a hypertension, right? Right. And it sounds so silly. And, And I remember before I started working in the mental health field and the thousands of patients that I've had the ability to treat, it didn't carry that much weight to me, right? It's like, oh, they have bipolar or they are bipolar. I see. I can't even make myself say it now, but they're not hypertension. They're not cancer, right? Yeah. They're very not good bipolar. Very, very good point. They, they have a disease. And, and I think once we start talking about these things more systemically, and people have done a phenomenal job with this, is once we start talking about this more as a disease process, as a part of a human, then I think that's a, a first step. And we're already taking those steps across the country. But I do believe that this is another example of media and society in general saying, hey, this guy's an outcast. He has bipolar, which first of all, if, if someone comes to me with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, I don't believe it until I diagnose it, right? And so I apply the same thing to this guy. I don't know anything about him. I know that he was said, it's been said he has bipolar disorder. I didn't diagnose it, so I'm not going to assume that he's got it. But I, I do believe that unfortunately it's going to prevent people from coming to get help. Or if they do hear that word bipolar when they're in their doctor's office, it's going to make them run. And I think that's why it's super important to share real statistics and say, hey, this is a disease. It does not make you an animal. It does not make you a feral creature. It does not make you a terrible person. It's a disease. We can manage it. We can treat it. But the most important thing that you can do is take your medicine because that is the number one predictor of a relapse. That is the number one predictor of hospitalization. And so take your medicine. And I think you you really hit the nail on the head with both of you, with people are going to try and separate the violence of what he did and say, well, he was bipolar. And just like you said, people throw around that term so often. I hear it all the time. Well, she's acting bipolar. And I'm like, that's not, first of all, that's not even correct. That's not what the person, you know, for instance, right. and we yeah. hear it every day, you know, well, they're acting bipolar or I, ha- or I'm they're They're being so OCD about something. I'm like, that's not OCD like, or that's not bipolar. So there is this, very social acceptable slang to use these mental health terms to try and label activity that probably has nothing to do with what's actually going on. And so I was like, wow. Yeah. When you said that, I was like, exactly. People are going to try and nail this coffin shut and say, well, it's bipolar and that may have something to do with it or it may not, but we won't know because it's just getting thrown around so much. It's muddied the water now. Well, absolutely. And one thing I want to point out, Tom, when you were referencing, oh, that person's acting bipolar or not you, but hearing it, yeah, that person's is my OCDs flaring up. They don't ever say that in a positive light, 
right? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's right. never referring to anything positive. And one thing that I think is important for people to hear, because I know there's healthcare providers out there. When I talk with my patients about what bipolar disorder is, right? There's a lot of misdiagnosis between a personality disorder, specifically a cluster B personality disorder, antisocial, borderline, histrionic. Guys, we need to be thinking about mood and climate and emotion and weather right? So when I'm diagnosing bipolar disorder, or I'm, I'm correcting a, an incorrect diagnosis of bipolar disorder, I ask my patient, I say, describe the Sahara desert for me. And they look and they say, well, it's dry and it's hot. And I laugh and I say, perfect. Now, does that mean that it never rains? And they say, no. And I said, so when I ask you to describe the Sahara desert for me, you describe the climate. That is your mood. That is the thing that takes longer to change. That's the thing that is a constant relatively stays the same. And we're, when we talk about longer, we're talking about days. When I talked about the, the coolness or the, or the water, I'm referring to the weather, how quickly that changes. So when we think about weather, we think about emotion. So when those patients are coming in and they're like, man, my bipolar is out, out of this world. I'm just going crazy. I'll be happy one minute. I'll be sad the next. That's emotional dysregulation. That's the weather, the climate is the thing that stays the same. The climate are the days of depression or the days of mood elevation. Even a mixed episode does not refer to just being all over the place. A mixed episode refers to either you're primarily depressed and you have manic symptoms over a certain duration, or you're primarily manic and you have depressive symptoms over a certain duration. It, the climate principle still applies. I like that analogy. And one other thing, and I was trying to look it up real quick while we were talking earlier, since we were talking about, you know, physical issues that can cause some manifestation of, of what we're doing. He is a professional football player, right? I mean, he'd been in for several years. So that means he's been through college. He's been through high school. He has got some bell ringing done. I mean, anybody that even played just high school football, you got smacked <laughs> at least on a daily basis. You know, I mean, every 30 seconds, you're going through a mini car wreck. And one of the big things that the junior Seau situation brought out is the CTE, the chronic, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Do you think that there is a possibility that there is CTE on board? And could that exacerbate? Let's assume for a second. I know that's a bad thing to usually do, but <laughs> let's let's assume for a minute he was bipolar. He was going into a manic episode, you know, based on what she reported. And that he was off his medication. If he had something like that CTE or a, or a previous TBI, uh, traumatic brain injury, for those that don't know what TBI is, do you think that that could play a part into what possibly happened? Tom, with, without a doubt. I mean, my concern when I deal, because, you know, I've had the opportunity to treat uh, some college football players and I was a college football player myself. The thing that I, that I worry about, is this not CTE? Right. Okay. Because let, let me just run down just a, a couple symptoms, difficulty, thinking, impulsive behavior, depression or apathy, short-term memory loss, difficulty, planning, emotional instability. Those with CTE are at an increased risk for substance abuse. Those with CTE are in increased risk for aggression, suicidal behavior. So when we think about this case in particular, I mean, you guys know it just as well as I know it. Sometimes we have these diagnoses that don't match up perfectly, but we just got to call it something right? as close as we can get it so we can treat it because a lot of our treatments dictated by what insurance is going to pay for. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so in the mental health field for years, for decades, bipolar disorder was this catch-all. We got someone who's irritable, they're impulsive, they're doing this other stuff, there's this catch-all. The problem with CTE, of course, and, and it may be updated, but from when I studied, we can only confirm that post-mortem. Well, and I think twisting that a little bit, if a physician or provider or whoever had concerns with CTE, that could potentially effectively end his career, whereas bipolar wouldn't. And again, and that's part of what I was thinking is in some ways this sounded, and again, I don't have enough history Right. And right. I've never, I, I, yes, again, pure speculation here. But I mean, we do have a couple facts. We do have a change in behavior. And I think I read in one of the reports, the Seattle Times, perhaps, or something like that, that they thought he was intoxicated when they got there. I don't know. I, I don't, anybody hold me 100% to that. I do know I read it somewhere that intoxication was mentioned, but I don't know if that was during a previous incident, whatever. But certainly it's saying that at some point there was, a substance abuse issue, abuse as in maybe just that particular episode, but there was another substance abuse. So now we're talking about there's the likelihood of head injury and the other things that Eric just discussed, like a bunch of those symptoms. And I, I think Ben, you know, I, whether we want to admit it or not, because I'm a huge football fan, there is a likelihood that there was something else on board. I mean, I, I guess I don't want to go too far down that road. <laughs> that seems like a legal issue. But the point is, is I don't know that until they get, so, you know, a physician or a mental health professional gets to talk to this guy, we may never know what exactly led up to this. Because if only, you know, 4.3% of the population that has bipolar is going to be involved in some sort of crime, then there's a more likelihood that something else happened. It wasn't just bipolar and it wasn't just being off medication, though I am, could not support what Eric said enough. Please, if you are prescribed medication, take it. But I mean, there is a 95 percent chance that something else was involved. Yeah, I mean, 95, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we know that the statistic 95.7. OK, jerk face. So. <laughs> yeah, we know statistically that, that if, if you're looking at the odds uh, there's a very high probability that something else was involved with this individual, which I hope we're all wrong, right? I hope we are too. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope we're all wrong because as as awful as, as that is that you did something terrible to someone you love, for me, I think I could cope with it better if I knew that I was doing everything right, mm -hmm. except of course not taking my medicine. And again, like you said, with the blood pressure, there's that stigma. It's so hard to convince somebody because when they're feeling good, well, I don't need the medicine. The medicine's only for when I feel bad. And sometimes it's hard to get across the, well, the medicine's the bridge. You know, it's keeping you that link between the good and the bad. That's what, that's what the medicine's for. But that stigma is awfully hard to overcome, like you said. And for people that haven't been through something, it's hard for them to say, well, just take your medicine. Well, it's not always well, the easiest thing. So when I have a patient who has... I, you know, I prescribe something, then they come in a couple months later and say, oh, well, I stopped it because, you know, I was feeling better or whatever the case may be. I, that's kind of the example that I use is say, okay, well, you know, I have diabetics that I have on insulin and the insulin makes them feel better, but that doesn't mean they stop the insulin. And so then you can, or for some people, you see it kind of click like, oh, yeah, I get it. It's the medication that is enabling me to feel better. Therefore, I need to continue that so I don't go back down that road. 
Yeah. And, and think about the organ in our body that's responsible for decision-making, right? It's our brain. Being a, oh, no. Man. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, <laughs> you're, you're talking to all guys here. Yeah, yeah. Wrong, wrong head, guys. <laughs> yeah. but, oh, oh, but, you know, think about that. And, and the very thing that's responsible for determining whether or not our behavior is appropriate is our brain. And that's the thing that's betraying us. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and when we think about bipolar disorder, especially when we're looking at these manic phases, theory behind bipolar disorder at this point in time is that it's an excessive amount of dopamine in the mesolimbic and mesocortical areas of our brain. So dopamine makes us feel good. Dopamine makes us bulletproof. Dopamine makes us think that we're doing okay. And we like that. And when someone is revving up, when they are building to a manic episode, their brain is betraying them and they're thinking it's good and everything's okay. And I'm better than I've ever been. I'm euphoric. It's the people around them that start noticing there's a problem um, mm. and you hope that you can intervene before you end up in the hospital. That's interesting. Valid point. I mean, really, really good point though. Before we wrap up, I do want to say if you are a victim of domestic violence or if you're in a bad situation or if you're someone that you know is in a bad situation, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Please reach out. I would also like to say real quick, because one of the things that you mentioned earlier in the show was that she had to start texting other people, hey, call 911. I certainly cannot say every police department in America, but I know the vast majority of them probably more likely outside of large metropolitan areas, but certainly the majority of them, if you call 911, a police officer is going to show up like they're going to come check out what's going to what's going on. So if you were ever in a situation and you didn't think you were going to be able to access your phone very long or anything like that, even if you dial 911 and drop the phone, do something to alert somebody if you're going to be able to keep your phone on or you think they're going to check it and you can't stay on 911 i i understand like i would never tell someone there's one blanket way to take care of a situation because there isn't but certainly if you don't think you're going to have access to your phone or you're under physical duress even if you dial it and drop it under a bed or behind the couch or something so that the operator can hear you or that that 911 call is made somebody is more than likely going to try and contact you. So anything, because that's one of the things that like scared me. It was like, you're relying on texting other people. Like, what if they're out eating pizza? You know, like what if, what if their phone died? I'm glad she did that. But at the same time, the last thing I would have done was down on one and drop the phone. Well, and I, my like, speculation so. would be just that if she was in fear for her life and didn't know how long she was going to have her phone or if he was going to choke her out, yes. I think it was just a, you know, if you pull up your text message, whoever's the first couple of people on there, I need help, you know, or whatever. No, so understandable. I mean, I can see the, the mindset. That's understandable. But honestly, a lot of times what you see, if you watch television or movies or TV, and this is one of the things I hate about because it influences people and how they think because they see something on NYPD Blue or some show, whatever the new shows are now, and they assume that's how it is in real life. And someone calls 911 and they're like, oh, it was an accident. And they just hang up the phone and nobody shows up. No. Most police departments in real life, if you call 911, even if you say, oh, it was a misdial, guess who shows up? A police officer. Because we understand that you may call 911 and the person attacking you might be standing next to you. We get that. you know. So most police departments 
will send an officer out there. And certainly if the phone line is open, they are going to start to recognize that there is a problem. And so I would like people to, to realize that that is something that can realistically save their life is not just texting your friend and hoping one of them calls 911, which I'm glad she did, but literally call 911 yourself. Even if you don't talk to somebody, it's going to start a chain reaction of events where hopefully a police officer will be able to make it out to your house and intervene. I, I That's just a safety tip that I hope every person hearing this understands, at least in the United States. If you make that call, somebody's going to want to verify in most cases that the person is actually safe. Well, and you know, I've heard the story, I think it was last week or earlier this week, the uh, lady who called Disney World and the person on the other end of the line became aware that there was an issue in this show. She started asking yes, no questions. Like, are you trying to book a vacation? No. Are you in danger? Yes. And yes. was able to ascertain that information. Well, while it appeared to be a normal I, phone call, a woman was being held hostage by her boyfriend. And for some reason he decided to let her use her phone to order pizza on the pizza hut app. I'm assuming he thought what harm can come from that. And she put in the special instructions I'm being held hostage, send 911, and then ordered her large, you know, sausage with pepperoni. And guess who, guess who showed up? You know, the police officer. So there are options available. And if you don't know the safety and technical features on your phone, you know, I know our iPhones, guess what? Even if it's locked and it's not your phone, there's emergency call options. You, you can yeah. still access 911 from a locked phone. So and I don't know if everybody knows that. So I, I think the other, and I don't want to say good thing, because God, it's hard to say anything good about the situation, but maybe one of the outcomes of this is that other people will pay attention to things that can help them. If they are the victim of, you know, a physical attack, domestic violence, and hopefully can save their life and end the, end the situation. So. Yeah. And, and one thing I'd like to add before we finish up is yeah. if, if you are someone who is, is suffering from domestic violence, you're worth living in a safe environment. You're worth leaving. There are resources out there for you locally. Um, they, they are, they're typically well-published. If you get on Google and just Google women shelters, there are places that you can go with your children to be in a safe environment and you are worth it. Absolutely. And if you're bipolar, take your medicine. Preach. Well, guys, let's wrap this up. I said we kind of wanted to do a hot take and get Eric's thoughts on on this. And so we greatly appreciate him on very short notice joining us so that we could we could talk about it. So thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I always like coming on board. Tom, anything you want to say to wrap this up? Well, I mean, he wasn't doing anything else. He was drinking a Blue Moon. I mean, what else? <laughs> I was trying to power through an essay, so I needed some encouragement. Yeah, Tom. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, well, on uh, on that note, again, if you're in a situation, seek help. If you're a bipolar, take your medicine. You know, being bipolar does not condone being an asshole or being a domestic violence abuser. Um, wear your mask. Wash your hands. Have a great week. Hey, everybody, stay safe out there. Practice swearing just to pass the time. Lately, I see why I am alone. Some road bridge and I thought of you And all the many times you say I should have known